The sharp banging on his cell door woke Orkin Bradshaw from a deep sleep. Wake up, you scum, he heard, and the blissful ignorance that he enjoyed for a few seconds each morning disappeared. We're here, the voice continued. You have ten minutes to get your stuff in order, and then you're taking the last flight of your lives. Bradshaw threw the blanket off him and quickly moved over to the toilet in the cell. As he did his business, he could see the sickly green and blue ball of destitution out of the tiny window, the place where he was about to spend the rest of his life, however long that might be. The door opened exactly 19 minutes after the guard called out. Bradshaw straightened out his orange prison jumpsuit. Step forward, Bradshaw. Horton did so, and the guard licked her lips, then spat in his face. I hope the drop bears kill you slowly, pedo. She reached for the chains to restrain him on his final walk on a spaceship. Then a doctor came over to give him an injection. It's an anti-malarial drug, he said. There's a real problem with mosquitoes down there. Another guard stood at a short distance away, armed with a truncheon in case Bradshaw put up any resistance. He didn't. There was no possibility of escape from this transport anyway not without killing multiple people, and Orton Bradshaw, convicted of 14 counts ranging from rape to witness tampering to distribution of child pornography, lacked the skills to kill multiple people. At least without, not without explosives. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Whenever you're listening to this, wherever you're listening to this, I would like to welcome you back to the Guild Podcast, the podcast for the Writers, Artists, and Readers Guild. I'm your host, Chris Mary Haltman, and really appreciate you tuning in. Uh, this is a completely free podcast available to you wherever you get your podcast, be it Stitcher, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, wherever it is. Um, you can help us out and you can help the authors out who we are talking to every week uh, by sharing this and liking it or subscribing it to it. Tell your friends, tell anybody, go out and buy a book, even if it's an ebook or Kindle. You don't have to have the, the paperback or anything. Just help an author out and leave a review. That's also uh, important. And you can connect uh, with us through social media, Instagram. Facebook, Twitter, all those places. Our guest today is Adam Carpenter, a young science fiction author that uh, recently released his first novelette, uh, Murder Planet, and is working on other, the follow-ups, Generation Ship, stuff like that. And uh, we will talk all about that and his inspiration uh, in our podcast. Some news, my first debut, my debut novel, not my first debut, my debut novel, <laughs> A Face of Fear, is available at Breaking Rules Publishing. Go into breakingrulespublishing.com and buy it there in uh, paperback, or go to Amazon and purchase it there. Every little uh, counts. Uh, but from now, we'll go uh, into our interview with Adam Carpenter. At this time, I would like to welcome author Adam Carpenter to the show. Welcome, Adam. How are you doing today? 
yeah, not too bad. I've got a couple of weeks off work at the moment, and it's a bank holiday today in, in as we're recording this in Britain. But I've got a couple of weeks off work, off regular work, um, so I can be a bit more relaxed and um, chilled. That's nice. It's nice with a little bit. Says me, my day job just actually got started. School's been going. I think we're in the third week of school now uh, since I work as a teacher. So it's uh, yeah. So so our our schools are going back um, next week. Yeah, I've actually heard a little bit of different ideas. I I follow this uh, singer, and I think I mentioned it on an author uh, salon. Uh, named Fish. Well, his name is Derek W. Dick, but he's a Scottish singer called Fish, and he does his show every Friday. And he keeps saying that because he's a he's a musical artist. Obviously, he he can't tour or anything because there no there are no gigs. But, but he keeps saying that it seems like Britain and well, Great Britain overall, maybe Scotland in particular. I don't know. Seem to be kind of always on the fence of whether things are going to go on complete lockdown again or not is that uh, the case uh, well there's a, lot, there's a lot of um, media sort of speculation out there regarding what's going on but it's well, we, we have actually one of the lower rates in europe at the moment so yeah. um, but uh, we just have to keep keep an eye you know remain vigilant so compared to say with france and spain um, um we're doing pretty we're doing actually doing pretty well i mean we test a lot as we do test a I do a great deal as well, so that's um, arguably slightly inflating our figures. But yeah, uh, but yeah. Um, since this is about uh, this is about science fiction, not um, not science, not the nasty world of science facts. Uh, yeah, I. It, it was uh, I wasn't when my book came out. It was um, my book came out on the twelfth of March, which was um, just over two weeks before our lockdown started. Okay. So do you? mean as a science fiction writer i mean i guess primarily did you um have you taken any inspiration from the lockdown and the whole covid situation or are you feeling like that is uh too cliche to uh to work with uh well um it's, it's certainly influencing some of my things going forward it was it was um uh, my second book, which I'm Generation Shit, which is coming the writing, does have characters wearing face masks. Okay. But that was, um, yeah, that but that was something considered um, considered um, pre-pandemic. Um, basic, basically, um, in, in, basically to avoid um, issues with um, ancient diseases or modern diseases given to an old person. But yeah, um, it, it is the whole thing is influencing um, uh, certain aspects of the setting. For example. The, um, set, the setting where I take, where I'm involved in, and this was takes bio, takes biosecurity mm-hmm. very seriously. For example, if you come in with a, um, uh, if you come in with something looking a bit peaky or whatever, they might give, they might, they probably give you a quick swab or something to, to make sure you're not carrying anything potentially dangerous. And and any other aspect of of this age, I mean, because um, I'm just thinking like you have. Uh... Uh, well, the whole the riots in, in America, the uh, you know Black Lives Matter, uh, the whole of the Me Too movement, and even the Speaking Out movement and stuff like that. Has that is that anything that is influencing you? Yes, right that now? Ha- that has definitely influenced um, some of my um, uh, some of my writing. Um, uh, for example, well, my my leading lady, 
and um, this was a conscious decision. Well, is um, uh, is 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 is, uh, is South Asian basically? Yeah. Um, she's um, uh, uh, and she and I, I made a conscious decision to make her one of the um, the darker skinned Indian ethnicities, Tamil. Mm-hmm. She's from the south. Uh, she, uh, well, her ancestry is from the south of the south of um, uh, from the south of um, of India. But in the world, when ethnic boundary, well, humanity doesn't, to, to much to a degree, discriminate based on, on ethnicity. It's all, it's all, it's very much that is mostly a thing of the past. Okay. For example, it, what, what divisions there what there are tends to be more culturally based. For example, which planet you come from, and um, certain planets will um, have um, uh, have a. Um, a certain, may have a certain higher type of one ethnicity than the other. Okay. Because um, because because Sunita is herself is um, well she is basically what is the what is basically a um a traveller as in the Irish traveller kind of sense. Okay. Yeah. The uh, in the the world in the world in the the, tra- the travelling people of the of, of Earth uh, have largely grouped together into a single group and they were one of the first people to leave leave them so. Because they figured that nobody was going to treat them in the proper respect on Earth, they might as well go out to months, go out to the stars and get get it with there. Mm. And, then, and they're now a major part of the uh, interstellar trading. Okay. And, um, with, and with, um, with with the whole um, the whole need to be in a traveller thing, I've taken care to um, to basically um, uh, have some of the culture, but while trying to avoid some of the stereotypes. For example, um, help. For example, the, the um, there's, there's a lot more. Uh, she's not really into mass criminality or anything like that. Or um, or um, as I start again, or, or and there's also a much higher emphasis in education, which is um, in in their in their in their setting, which is um, considered considered because in, in in our world, there's been a real problem with um, Irish travellers that not getting a proper education. Yeah, yeah. But this, that's something that's uh, developed and changed over six centuries separate now in my setting of 2619 yeah but she is so she um the, the crew the crew of um Tolia is very much multi-ethnic and um and uh, um and they kind of they kind of consider themselves well just primarily human rather than anything because mm. they and um so and um and what and and they and um so the main setting that's where where Sunita's well told you is now going to be based out of going forward is a world called New London, which is kind of a bit like Britain, um, with sort of um, sim similar sort of culture, and it's near to a, near to a group of states called a group of star systems called the Union of Irish Stars. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's so there's cultural those all separate cultures still exist. But they start to become more unified, particularly the ones under the te- banner of the Terran Union, who are going to be a major protagonist, or major character, major character, so to speak, in the second and third book. Okay, yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, because I was I was thinking about that because I'm I'm involved in a project, a science fiction project, actually more of a cyberpunk project, whereas it feels like your your book is more of maybe like a hard science fiction or a, a classic science fiction space opera style. Uh, we can get into that later. But what I was thinking is we, we were talking about um, in the group that I'm in working on this project, 
the cyberpunk project we were talking about uh, music and, and and slang and cultural types which is very common for cyberpunk which is basically cyberpunk's strength uh, and we were uh, and somebody was mentioning that his main character was going to listen to Bob Marley and I was kind of thinking would in however long in the future this would be uh, and it's probably a distance in the future because of the technology I can't revol uh, divulge too much about it but the character was listening to Bob Marley and I was thinking well would Bob Marley be acceptable to listen to in the future thinking about you know the whole racial discussion that we have now today with Black Lives Matter seeing as how Bob Marley was both a diehard racist against white people and even a misogynist so he's like those kind of things I think are important that you think of, of where we are today you know for for a science fiction book to to kind of comment on how do you feel about those kind of comments or ideas well um yeah in terms of it's gonna it's ultimately that's a difficult thing to judge because uh going forward because finding uh, any 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 classical or any classical author is going to have um their own issues pretty much based on their on their time um for the history of humanity is is um been one of uh, world prejudice and um, and quickly uh, unpleasant views, and you, in some cases you've got to separate the works from the um, from the author's views. But to work where you can do so, where that where those views are clearly influencing their work to such a huge degree, it becomes problematic. I know there's been issues with H.P. Lovecraft on that on that matter. Yeah. Uh, you've got to be, you have to be, have to be careful. But I, interestingly, I have put in some um, interesting, some contemporary references uh, into this setting. This, again, this is from stuff generation ship. For example, there's a world in my setting where one of my characters comes from called Don Pennsylvania, yeah, which is basically sort of an Amish uh, Mennonite-esque planet, uh, uh, run on a fairly um, even fairly hardcore Christian Christian principles. And what and um, people for women from there are known as offreds. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, which um, which oh, it also points which which I have read the Handmaid's Tale. I know that description does actually is, isn't correct. No. And I'm going to have someone point that out in the at some point because um, that's the same term has come from there. But it's not a correct reading of the book. No. Because 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 um because speaking of um racism over time um. One of the interesting ones. I recently watched um, a production of um, *The Merchant of Venice*. Yeah. Which is um, which has been interesting because the way because Shylock has been present has been uh, presented over time. He's become a lot more sympathetic, uh, uh, made more sympathetic over the over the year, over the over the centuries, and it's quite common for Jewish actors to actually play him these days. Yeah. To sort of give him that human persona. Because when you actually when you actually look at um, the Merchant of Venice, Venice, Charlotte gets really nastily treated throughout much yes. of the book, uh, and um, even even said he, and um, yeah, is and there, there were, and, and that was well, that was all things with uh, uh, sort of prejudice stuff was common at the time. Even at the time, there were no actual Jews living in Britain at that point because they'd been expelled four centuries earlier yeah. or three centuries. Um, You've, you 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 have to 
bear it, yes, also bear in mind the settings those things take part in, and in some cases work to correct them in your own work. Yeah. So I try, I said, uh, I try not to be, uh, I said, I, I work, I try and make an effort not to be prejudiced and try, and uh, but of course my own background means that some perhaps I have some latent prejudice in there. Uh, that's um, that's um, may end up inadvertently creeping in, and that's why you need to have some of our sensitivity readers and stuff like that to make sure I don't inadvertently cause offence and with um, with writing a um, an age a South Asian female. No, yeah, absolutely. That's and that's I think I can't remember where that was now. Yeah, there was a criticism. Criticism. I was just actually discussing this with a colleague, like criticism against Barbara King Solver. Uh, who is not Native American, but wrote about Native Americans, and the main characters were Native Americans, and the criticism against her was that, you know, uh, how can, that she didn't seem to have a right to to write about Native American plight or their situation not coming from that culture. Uh, I don't find that that is an issue. I think you can still have a character that is, if if you if you know enough of the culture, I think that it's fine to to be a uh, have a main you know protagonist that is uh, of a different ethnicity at, than yourself, just as well as you can have a protagonist that is of a different gender than you are. I don't see the issue in that as long as you're sensitive to to the matter. Yeah, it's something you have to have to be have to be careful with. Um, it's not, it's, it's called empathy. You need to. I sort of empathise to understand your character, and it need to do the research. But also remember that even that no one, no one is a, no one is a stereotype. You're going to find them diverse diversity of all of all varieties. Was it infinite diversity, infinite combinations? Am I am I remembering that co- yes. am I remembering that correctly? Yes. I think yeah, it's 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 a tricky subject to deal with. Um, partic- um yeah. Particularly in the current environment. Yeah, no, it's uh, so I kind of did a little bit of uh, kind of research uh, before uh, because I I think just to make sure, but I believe you are the youngest uh, writer so far on on the podcast. Um, maybe I don't know if that's what what that says. I think I'm not gonna. I'm not. I don't want to offend any of my previous guests, but I believe that you are one of the youngest ones. Uh, and okay. so, so and then I mean, and that's fine. I don't. It's not. It's not a jab at it, but it means that uh, you have uh, quite a long career in, in ahead of you because it seems like a lot of people that I've spoken to have gotten into writing uh, late in life. They've kind of let you know life come before and then start writing how long how long were you toying with the idea of of writing before you started thinking of a you know submitting to be published uh well all in all um well 20 years okay uh yeah i basically uh, well i was basically creative writing was my favorite subject in primary school i still remember well, i don't know if i saw the, the book uh, writing a story which involves uh, uh, well, in, in, year, in um, year six, that's uh, fifth grade for the Americans out there. Yeah. Which involved, where, where one of the things involves a character who falling off the top of a um, uh, of, of, of an air, of an, air, of an aircraft um, uh, boarding steps. That's all I remember about it. I think he was trying to do something and he fell off the boarding steps. <laughs> but no, I was, uh, yeah, I was definitely doing creative writing. I actually started my first crack at a novel 
um, was when I was uh, in uh, eighth grade. Okay. I never got published, but some of the elements from that have worked made all the way into Murder Planet. Okay. I actually wrote a, a full-length novel I did, actually, but that's... Um, I've sent a few submissions over to, didn't get anything, didn't get, get any, an acceptance, and it's now been shelved. Now I've gone to the novella format of um, the Murder Planet, uh, Generation Ship, and the third one I'm working on at the moment, Lava Moon. Okay. I decided to go for some, after initial, those were the initial titles, actually, the first two. But those, those, I've, I've gone for more sort of um, pulpy titles for them. Mm-hmm. More memorable ti- More memorable titles. And where did you? I mean, where did you get your inspiration from? I mean, science fiction. Um, it, feel, it feels like science fiction sometimes goes in waves a lot in in popularity and and mm. amount. I mean, you look at say like early pulpy twenties thirties. Uh, you know, a lot of of science fiction mixed with horror, and then you have like the fifties and sixties, a lot of social commentary. When it comes to to science fiction, looking at the space merchants, for instance, and a lot of Asimov stuff, and then you have a little bit of more of the cyberpunk coming in in the eighties and nineties, and now it's kind of come back a little bit with James A. Uh, James Corey and stuff like that. Where did you find your inspiration for? Uh, so my inspiration ranges from well, I, I play um, a, a, a quite my, one of the things I play is um, I said is a game. Computer game Elite Dangerous. So I was pl- I played the original, well I played Elite Plus back in the nineteen nineties, um, um, which was um, basically this all, which was Elite being the classic space trading game. Yeah, yeah. Dave, played by Dave Babe, and now in its current form of Elite Dangerous, where I, where I, I'm, I'm currently uh, flying a Diamondback Explorer, uh, all the way to, all the way to Colonia. Okay. Which for those not familiar not familiar with the game is a seriously long trek in that kind of ship. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. And that isn't even not even the longest trek you can do it in the, the thing. It's, um, it's, but the, I, I mean, it, that's one of my influences—the whole space trading kind of thing—and uh, also, um, uh, also, also, my, my other influences include uh, more the Traveller RPG series. Okay, which that's that's been that's been some of a heavy influence in. Um, in the Tolia, the Tolia setting. Also, and this is also Alien. Okay. Mm-hmm. The Alien films for the whole, the whole general setting of, of, um, of the environment. I've um, basically, it's called what's known as, as um, cassette futurism. Mm-hmm. It's basically, um, for example, if you've ever seen Alien, you've got the whole, all these um, like cassettes and, you know, um, like um, screens more familiar with a BBC micro and things like that. So, yeah. I've kicked, I've kicked my aesthetic site into the MS DOS era, but <laughs> okay. um, it's um, it's definitely um, an aesthetic I, I I like to use in my, using my books. That's the that's what I grew up with, mm. and also one of my big influences. And I've dropped a few references references into into the, into the into the story, uh, into into Murder Planet is the TV it's a British cult science fiction series Blake Seven. Okay, yeah, no, I don't, I haven't seen that. I, Captain Power, I think. Was a Blake, show that yeah. I saw. <laughs> Blake, Blake Seven was a um, well, ran from nineteen seventy-seven to nineteen eighty-one on the BBC. It was created by Terry Nation, who was also responsible for creating the Daleks in Doctor Who, mm. and it involved a group of rebels uh, fighting against a dystopian totalitarian regime uh, in a stolen alien spaceship. 
Yeah, it's um, oh, it's um, it, it had a, it had what basically was a computer hacker before the term computer hacking was invented, uh, in the form of um, a character called Avon, played by the late Paul Darrow, who was frankly a brilliant actor. But he was uh, all the characters are brilliant, and he had to, and he had and and and, and, and also some brilliant villains as well. Okay, so um, so most of your uh, most of your inspiration comes from. From video games and and TV or and yes, movies. Yes, it does, and I'm, I'm I am some I am somewhat of a visual um, writer. I think I think in film and television terms. Okay. And, um, and I have the idea what my characters look like in my head, um, which is um, and I I I, I work on that. And I, so film, and uh, one of the things um, I have person, one of the personal bugbears I have with current science fiction is, can they just can they turn the lights up a bit, please? You're not always yeah. not going to be. Um, yeah, it's it. Current spaceships are, are too dark, and uh, it's it's either it's either really brilliant, really brilliantly white, or it's um, or it's grey and grim, and just um, make it like a no. But find a nice balance. It's just um, also make it make it a bit more lived in. Yeah. For example, well, you can't have um, for example, that's where Alien. That's where Alien really works. It does look more lived in. It's yeah. um, for example, you you might have somebody that leaves some. Leave some documents around on the on use a magazine around on the floor, or stick some posters up on the wall, or something. It's these are people's homes and their offices, their home offices in space. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, because I had that conversation. I, I can't remember who I had it with. We were talking about. Yeah, I think Abigail Linhart, uh, who I interviewed a little uh, while back, and we were talking about the difference between, say, like the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Uh, and Lord of the Rings, whereas Dungeons and Dragons, you have all these people they they they're out all the time wandering in the woods, and but they seem they they're all clean, they 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 look like they're freshly showered. Whereas in Lord of the Rings, you really see there's dirt under the fingernails. It's grimy, just like it would be if you'd been hiking for close to a year. Well, you, you stop the occasional bath or shower, but yes, um, yeah, I, for example, that's you know, it's the blonde, the blonde woman who's managed to have perfect, um, perfect peroxide roots, um, um, perfect peroxide job done, yeah. done after six months on a desert island. Uh, we've li- we've 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 lived through um, we've lived through the, um, lockdown in this country. That I can tell you, that's not true. <laughs> no, I can imagine. Yeah, it's kind of the thing. I remember watching uh, from hell. Uh, with Johnny Depp, the the Alan Moore uh, adaptation or adaptation of Alan Moore's site about Jack the Ripper and all these prostitutes, it looked like prost- Victorian age prostitutes, except for Heather Graham, who looks like she's not a pro- even though she is a prostitute in the movie, she does not look like it. She is quite uh, prim and proper, which is yeah. takes you uh, out uh, of the situation. Uh, I'm not an expert on prostitutes, um, <laughs> no. so I couldn't. I couldn't possibly comment. I'm, I don't think I've ever even met even met a prostitute. There was a there was a time at my at university where we were going to have a prostitute come to the, for the political debate society come along, okay. but she didn't turn up. <laughs> no, that's probably typical prostitute behaviour. Uh, not to offend any any prostitutes that might be listening to this podcast. Um, when it comes to, to science fiction, so so when you, um, I mean, science fiction, because I write some science fiction myself, and I find that it does take, 
like like anything when you write a lot of research more or less because you want it to be there be be a high degree of of believability or probability more i guess which you yes. want to say that this is actually something that would happen uh or something that might happen in the future and that's kind of why i took up brought up the thing about about bob marley would we be listening to bob marley in the future with the climate you know would it have been socially acceptable or would he all of a sudden have been dropped from the public sphere because of racism and misogynism um and that's something that you kind of have to contend with what is musical and a list sound like in the future what is how are people going to talk to each other in the future did you and and i think a lot of that stuff is something that you don't get all the time in the visual medium you know while when watching science fiction movies or show shows you usually get that through through reading so how did you contend with that being more of a visual person is there a lot of did you have to do a lot of you know I guess speculate spec, because that's what it's called speculative fiction. Did you speculate a lot about what the future might look like? Well, uh, I've um, a lot of, uh, my 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 well my major so to speak was in politics. Okay. Uh, and um, and oh, I have a sort of political or political knowledge, and that's influenced um, influenced my set influences my setting. For example, um, uh, and I, I I have an idea what the government systems of systems of um, of my various worlds look like, and to say who the who's in charge, and I've uh, and um, things like, and like that, uh, and also I've got an I, I I read a lot, and I can pick up stuff about international trade and stuff, and you and um and you will and a lot of, a lot of stuff um uh, a lot of stuff you um you can actually look back in history and find stuff that stuff that works today. Mm. Uh, it works in the, in the setting because in particularly example in 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 a, in a setting where where interstellar travel is is possible but not that far for example it might take a couple of days to get somewhere as opposed to say near instant near instant mm. but there's also a li- very limit fairly limited um interstellar communication for example i've um built something known as the beacon network where the only way really send assist send messages between star systems is using a um a great big sort of space beacon to pump out the message through hyperspace. Okay. And edit, and um, so, but and then if anything else is going to have to um, factor in the lights, speed of light. Yeah. Which is um, which as it which in murder planets um, there's a whole lagging observation that's um, involved in and sending messages and um, people and observation and um, ships being seen each other because of the the light has to tra- physically travel between them. Mm. But a lot of stuff that, for example, a lot of stuff I've, um, uh, started stuff from the age of, uh, well, the early, uh, early age of steamships and, um, the early age of telegraphy and yeah. 19, so late 19th century, early 20th is relevant for, um, for this period, period. For example, I've been thinking of various aspects regarding to- how the way Tolia operates. Mm. Um, basically, because um, it's told you it's too big to let it actually land on a planet, it has various cargo. It's cargo pods are part of an integrated unit that can transfer themselves to another ship that go down to the surface. They've basically got their own docking docking modules and um, stuff like that. And it's stuff you basically basically containers with um, thrusters. Okay. 
because uh, as I said, I, I, because I, I'm, I, I operate in a fairly hard, hardish setting where you have to factor in acceleration, deacceleration, uh, drift, and things like that, and gravity. And um, being a, being a, being an interstellar navigator is um, being able to is a rather hard, a rather hard um, thing involved a fair bit of mass, especially if you don't have a computer to hand. Yeah. Because um, one of the, one thing I've started I've um, come into my setting is um, I've developed a whole um, sort of um, qualification thing regarding captains. For example, you can't just you can't just go and board a ship, buy a ship, and call yourself a captain. No. <laughs> But you have to um, have to actually quite go through a long. In this world, you can't do it either. No. You have to go through a long, long qualification process, and um, I in, in, and in this um, setting, there are there are three ranks, basically three ranks of ship captains. There's skipper, uh, master, and uh, captain. Then you have various stuff above that, like running entire fleets. So um, cat, so captain, I've got it. I've got. It. I've forgotten his surname because I've written, um, the captain of um, told you in the first book. I've got his surname, which um, which is a bit silly. I've written him out, so I've um, he he he's a full four four stripe captain because he's done all the got the experience. Mm. But but otherwise he might not. Be, he has to get all that qualifications and the balls and um, guild stuff to make sure he can do. He's fully qualified. And if Tanita wants to become a captain herself one day, she's going to go for all the qualifications stuff like that. And she's really not very good at uh, very good at maths. Okay. She's very good. She's good at a lot of things, but she's not. Um, but she's not that good at maths. Okay. So, um, and uh, yeah. So the, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of things, and there's a lot of wor- world building in your story. Now, one thing that interests me here is that you refer to Murder Planet and the subsequent se- sequels as novellas. Uh, which means that there is a word limit. Uh, what uh, what made you decide on 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 such a sm- small limit of words instead of trying to build up like maybe a a longer book um, well, with a lot of like well I mean a lot of info obviously. Well, to be honest, um, um, that's how long murder that's how long the story murder panic actually ran to be. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of stuff where it's they pad out a story endlessly to fill the time. For example, American TV series can go on for absolutely ages. Absolutely. <laughs> and um, said, and a murder planet works in that length, and Generation Ship kind of works in that length. For example, it allows me to avoid cliches and long situations which aren't logical. Just, I have I have a plan at some point to combine. The first three, maybe first four books into a single volume. Yeah. For, 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 for publication, but um, it allows me to tell a fairly quick story, mm. and well, with enough as much as the material as I need, without extra, without too much in it. But uh, a murder planet worked in the length it was. Okay. Basically, yeah. I could, I could, I says there were there are probably ways I could have made it longer. But that would have involved um, probably involved um, uh, the Bangalore Marines at some point. Um, they don't actually turn up. Um, <laughs> no, they just yes. If you read the book, you'll understand yeah, the, yeah. Way, the way the way the way the Bangalore government deals with prison escape. Yeah. So yeah, and that's I mean that's interesting because as I said, like science fiction books in general, 
which is, I think, more true of uh, science fiction books today than they were back in, if you say, like the 50s and 60s, where they generally tended to be a little bit shorter uh, because they, they told one single story, whereas today they tell all the stories basically in one book. Uh, and I think if somebody, and I think a lot of people shy away maybe from fantasy and science fiction because of the sheer length of the book. Um, yeah, um, so I, actually one of my one of my influences in the whole and the whole thing was the Honor having Honor Havington series by yeah. David Weber. Yeah, that's been a big influence in the overall way I do physics and space battles uh, um, because of the whole they, the whole acceleration and things like that. Where they they because they can't you can't just um, go flying around all that in space. They have to move out, accelerate, deaccelerate. Yeah. And this comes into a big, uh, quite big, um, big, will come to quite big aspects of my second book, will involving a, a quite a complicated um, intercept of an approaching vessel. Mm. So did you did you uh, submit or query Murder Planet to various publishers before being picked up by Breaking Rules, or uh, I did submit first... to various agents, and then break, then um, Breaking Rules picked me up. I had a, I had a um, Another offer from a, an, um, an organisation that won't be named on basically who are based a vanity publisher. I, I, I'd aim to interest who liked it, but you know it wasn't for, wasn't for them. No, that's a, that's the thing with that's the thing in this business. Um, so many people can write these days and um, have the capacity to write, and you've just got and you've got real difficulty getting in through the doors. And um, and Breaking Rules Publishing gave me that chance, so that should get published, which is mm. um. Did, had you had you written anything previously that had gotten yes, published? Yes, I'd written a full length novel, full length novel, full length sort of not a, a sort of a, um, not a sort of fantasy esque novel, which has got a very developed world world setting. Okay. But ultimately, it's been put on the back burner while I focus, to focus on the on on the Tolkien Tolkien Tol world. Yeah. It's, it's perhaps too niche, um, a niche story. Yeah. But um, ultimately, did you find it was difficult to get replies and stuff like that sending out to agents, or did you? Well, I think uh, well, in some cases it was um, oh, I got I got I got a few. It was that they gave you if you don't hear back by this date, we have we're not successful. I didn't. Uh, I got I got replies back, not any, not necessarily any, any depth replies, no. uh, but I got replies for replies. Yeah, and how long before break did you? How long before you? From the the time you started sending it out, to uh, breaking rules, picking it up. I mean, how uh, long was it out? Let me have a look. I've just got my. Um, I ha- I kept a record of my agent submissions. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I um like my like, like the job applications I used to have to do. I kept records. Uh, I submitted um, submitted started submitting Murder Planet on um, uh, on the eighth in March last year. And I finally got picked up in January this year. Okay. So it's about uh, yeah. So a lot of people. I got my feedback here. Some thought it was too short. They 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 really loved their writing, but it wasn't wasn't um wasn't particularly suitable for them. Basically, a lot a lot of stuff. It was um yeah, a lot of stuff. It was very, so very interesting, but it didn't fit their plans. Yeah. And, I wouldn't say it wasn't say their personal taste. No. And did you? I mean, being a British writer, was your goal to to? I mean, ultimate your goal to be published in 
the UK or did that not matter? Because I, I spoke to Tim Mendes just the other night, who, who's also from the UK and is also part of the Raking Rules family. And he was talking about that there's just, there aren't that many opportunities for British writers in Great Britain because there aren't enough indie publishers or publishers overall. Yeah. So I saw Breaking, well, I saw Breaking Rules um, as an advertisement in Writing Magazine, which I subscribed to. Oh, okay. Writing Magazine for writing, that's how I finally found I found them but said there aren't a huge number of um, British based science fiction publishers these days it's well they exist it's not it's, it's not much of the much of the genre is um, focusing on the states at the moment yeah I, which is um, yeah but yeah so that, um, but I, so I, did, I did submit to a few American ones as well I'm actually uh, um, I, did, I, I was part, I did have a short story published um, some while back were another, I don't remember, they were, they were British, like British agency. I, I wrote a short story for an anthology called Criminals with Fangs, okay. which is um, through Michael Terrence Publishing, which was basically a, um, uh, about, so basically, I wrote a, basically a cop story with a, with a vampire cop set in Romania. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, basically some cattle had been, vamp- had been vampired. Okay. Oh, that's so, interesting. Yes, it was a very interesting take on the on the on the drac on the on the um, vampire thing. I I did I personally enjoy it. I personally like, like doing it. And also, and also last year I got I wrote a an article for about national railway magazine on my on my heritage railway volunteering, um, which got me uh, published as in there and um, and which brings actually brings me to a nice segue regarding the ship. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Tolia is named after a locomotive. Oh, okay. It's named after one of the surviving um, Class 55, British Rail Class 55, five locomotives known as the Deltics. Okay. They were 100 mile an hour diesel locomotives built in the 60s, basically operating from London to Edinburgh to replace um, steam locomotives. And they 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 were they were very they're very distinctive um, distinctive locomotives. Very smoky as well, um, <laughs> well um, and I've, I've seen a couple of them in real life, and even well, been behind one, but I don't want to go behind one on a full charter tour at some point. But they're they're very distinctive looking, and they've even brought their paint job over to Tolia. Oh yeah, and Tolia has a sort of whole. Tolia was named itself after one of those locomotives, named itself after a, um, a racehorse from the post-war era. But there was a, there was a I've, I have dropped in quite a few um or dropping in some of a British Rail references into the into the book because hello yep I'm here so yes I, I thought that we thought we dropped out there no no um, no I was uh, sounded like you had more to say <laughs> so yeah I... okay yeah sometimes but no it's um, yeah so those locomotives are considered absolute classics and I actually decided to use that name. Because they're not all going to be named after grand majestic spaceships, things like that. No, absolutely. Uh, not. Um, yeah, they're also also not going to be named also not going to be named in the way that Ian, like Ian M. Banks named his stuff. No. Uh, there's going to be a whole there's going to be a whole kink, whole mix of um, na- of names of out names out there. And I've reflect and I've reflected them um, in my reflecting that in my in my story. Yeah. I hope. I think I used. The, the the ships and and in in my science fiction story that I'm working on now uh, are named after various uh, musical artists or you know act um, 
like Jeff the like Jeff the Jeff Lynn and the Elvis Costello and stuff like that. Yeah, I, 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 I've got one of Generation Ship named after a Marvel character. Oh, see there. Yes, you uh, those those when you read it, you 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 should be able and you know and know your Marvel, you'll be able to spot the reference. Yes. Um. So just a little, just quickly, like a quick, quick summary, like of a minute. What is the plot, essential plot of Murder Planet? Right. Uh, okay. Uh, basically, the the merchant ship Tolia is uh, as undocking is unknown as cargo around New London when they discover when they discover that somebody's trying to smuggle some stuff in the, in the cargo. And the whole thing's been seized by customs, so they're not getting any of their their um their fee. Mm-hmm. And also, that's to fire one of the crew members as a result. Uh, but so they, they can't get any other work, and so they're contacted by 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 a rebel member of a rebel group to engage a prison rescue on a jungle prison planet, mm-hmm. where people basically drop down by ship and basically left to die on there. Because um, if the um, well the, the air doesn't kill you, the wildlife will. Okay. And so they go to they go to this planet, uh, get discover the colony, and then without spoiling too much, they they get they discover just um, how far the, the regime are willing to go to cover up their issues, and um, and and at the end, and Sunita has a um, as a distinct interesting encounter with among other things a carnivorous plant. And um, what might be um, what she what what was described what is described at one point as grunting murder teddies. <laughs> yeah, uh, I decided. Yeah, um, it's um, those who those who are into the crypto Australian cryptozoology will um, see where I got the inspiration for a certain creature from. Okay. Yes. That sounds very. Well, it sounds very exciting and very. And so far, two books are more. Or two sequels are planned, and how long? How far do you think you're going to take this series? Well, as the thing is, I could take it as far as it goes. So it's, a, it's such a big setting; I can easily move to other characters and things like that. But um, Tolu itself is a ship of about twenty people on it, and I mm-hmm. can, they all they all have their own interesting various backstories for them. So Sunita so, so, so would like to become a captain of her, in her own right one day. Yeah. Uh, so she, we, she, she's got her own career. She can follow various others. We can, we can follow, we can follow. And it's, it's a big setting. The second book introduces the main political player in the whole setting, the Terran Union, who, who are a democracy, which is um, not the democracy, which is arguably one of the worst systems of government. Mm-hmm. As in, the thing with democracies is, um, you, well, well, they can, they can be fairly um, flawed sometimes. Yeah. As any, any anyone lives in the lives in the democracy can tell you, they can be quite um, they, but they may not be out, they may not be authoritarian and authoritarian. They can be completely dysfunctional in their own ways. That is very true. Um, and before where actually our time is is uh running out here quickly is are is Breaking Rules Publishing you putting out these uh, the sequels to to That's, these books? That is the current plan. Yes. Yeah. I plan to put. Uh, I plan to. The, the next two sequels. So I'm I'm currently in the process of revising, um, revising, and um, you know, getting some feedback from various people on Generation Ship, mm-hmm. and I'm writing Lava Moon as well as uh, work on Lava Moon as well, which involves um, which involves uh, um, 
well, a, a moon with a lot, uh, with a lot of lava on it. Yeah. As the as name implies. Yes. That one, that one involve also involves an interest. Yeah, hang on. So that that one will also involve a state, uh, one of the most tackiest places in the galaxy. Okay. Well, there always yeah. has to be one of those. Yes. This place. This place is. Um, this place is just got. This place is. Um, is is um, for example adverts you can see from a planetary surface kind of tacky. Mm. Yes. And okay, well, Adam, uh, if anybody wants to get in contact with you or ch uh, check up on what you're doing, uh, where might they go on uh, I'm social on media? I'm on Facebook under uh, Adam Carpenter Author, mm? and I have an Instagram account under that name as well. Said I don't tweet. Uh, no. That place has become a bit particularly cesspool in the last couple of years and I deleted my Twitter account because it was just too unpleasant yeah but I, I, I'm on Facebook I'm Instagram you can find me on LinkedIn as well if you're interested okay yeah good but yeah and it, do you have your do you have your own website or is it the not, Amazon no, I blog, but I haven't yet got around to doing my own website okay that's that's good I mean it'll you'll have time you're right now you're working on your books you'll have time to sort that out uh, later um Anything else that people should be looking out for when it comes to your work? I mean, apart from Murder Planet, available, you can buy it at Breaking Rules Publishing now. You can probably get it from Amazon as well. Yeah, you can you can get it from Amazon as well, yes. Um, you can definitely get it from Amazon also. And good reason pointed to, point to other, your other, other sources as well. Yeah. Please, please, please leave me a review. Um, I, I could always appreciate some, also appreciate some reviews because... Um, help me build my prominence yes yes um but uh yeah and if and, uh, if you look on there you'll see some various stuff that i'm doing um my main, i might mainly focus on the books at the moment i may uh and that's and i've and i, I said i'm and i and if yeah i'm mainly focusing on the books the books at the moment i also i've also written some stuff for my heritage railways magazine okay uh, I, I volunteer the epping Ongar railway uh which is um, uh, based near London, and they have a magazine called uh, Mixed Traffic. Okay. I've written some articles for the articles for them. Well, if people happen to be be able to get a hold of those, they will, I'm sure they will be checking for your articles there. Yes, um, yes, I've recently I've re I just recently did one on the on the railways of the Iron Man. Okay. So, uh, thank you for coming on, Adam. It's been uh, a treat, and uh, good luck in your uh, coming ventures, and I hope that this uh, series lives on. I think there's a lot of people, and a lot of people that I know, that enjoy a, a good lengthy series to read. Indeed, yes. Uh, indeed, please, please, please have a read of Murder Planet, and check it out, um, tell your friends, and um, follow me on Facebook as well. Yeah. Okay. Thank, thanks very much for having me. Yeah, it was. And all the best, and all the best for your own writing. Yeah. I'm, trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to read a face of here at the moment. It, it looks pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, and I'm. I'm uh, I have uh, yours is on the to read pile, but I can tell you that it's very high up. That pile has gotten a lot smaller. So I'm going to be yours is going to be next on my reading list. Actually. Glad to hear it. Yes. Okay. Thanks very much. Cheers. And we're back from our interview. Great interview. Uh, lots to talk about. Lots to unpack. Uh, and, uh, you know, as always, 
there's so much more to talk about and it's so seamless and effortless and everything like that uh, go out and check out uh, adam carpenter's uh, links um, go check out his book uh, murder planet on breaking rules publishing and uh, if you happen to be able to get one of uh, the magazines he was talking about and read his articles do that uh, if you're into trains i assume um that is uh, all for me. I'd like to thank you for tuning in, listening once again. We will be back shortly. Uh, don't forget to check out uh, the other podcasts linked to the Guild, uh, Easing the Reader, new episode two of Easing the Reader, a reread of The Wheel of Time with myself and author David Green. Uh, drops Sundays uh, every other week. Uh, so it's going to be this week is episode two. Check that out. Uh, you'll find it on Easing the Reader. Look uh, for it wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, and also, uh, The Guild After Hours with Tim Mendes, where he interviews, uh, or more of a has a low-key chat with authors. Uh, there are two episodes out, one with author David Green, who I just mentioned, and myself. Uh, more to come. Uh, you will find it in this feed, The Guild After Hours. And there's more coming up uh, on the horizon. Uh, I'd like to thank Adam Carpenter for coming on. I'd like to thank you for tuning in, listening, as I said. Uh, Facebook it out, tweet it out, share it. Uh, and I'd also like to thank John Holtman for providing to the music for today. Um, yes, be well, be safe, and talk to you next time.